we have like the best margins. We get to have fun at work all the time and no one's lives are on the line and we get paid well. So everyone just take a breath. It's okay. It's software. This is Regrowth and I'm Matthew Kammerer. B2B marketers often feel left out from their B2C counterparts. There are so many tools and tactics that simply don't work in the enterprise space. But Hello Signs Jackie Davis prefers the challenge of B2B. As the company's senior marketing manager, Jackie runs powerful digital campaigns to find and convert leads for Hello Signs e-signature software. She worked at New Relic and Atlassian during their IPOs and brings a rich data background to marketing from her time as an analyst. In this episode, we talk about creating the right infrastructure for marketing growth, preparing for going public, and scaling marketing campaigns from scratch. Let's dive in. Your career is focused on B2B tech. What challenges do you think marketers face in the industry that others don't? Well, I think, I mean, there's a couple of things, but one big one, and I think this is especially important when you're first starting a career in B2B, is that most of all the marketing material, so so much like, you know, blogs and articles and medium things and best practices in marketing, but the majority of it has been created for B2C. And the tactics that you use in B2C are not the same tactics that you use in B2B. Like in B2B and B2C, you it's an emotional buying process. You're like telling someone, here's why you want this and it's impulse driven and that's all. You have no one to answer to but yourself for whatever this purchase was. Whereas in B2B, like your career's online in some cases. And there's, this, there's another step of logic. So you're like, oh, I want this thing. It's going to solve this for me. But then there's also like, okay, now how do I put the business case together to get it? And so it's a lot more logical. So the preparation that you need is, is much, much deeper. Personally, I love working in B2B because, especially B2B tech, because the margins that we have are amazing. And so I always help people when people start to like, something doesn't work and people panic. I'm like, guys, we have like, the best margins. We get to have fun at work all the time and no one's lives are on the line and we get paid well. So everyone just take a breath. It's okay. It's software. You know, Not that it's not important, but it's just like a really lucky place to work. But yeah, I mean, you need the, the level of enablement you need from the B2B standpoint is totally different because you need to look at different personas that go through the buying process, as well as like people... They're not making an impulse. They're not buying a t-shirt. You know what I mean? They're not seeing an ad on Instagram and then clicking through and then purchasing. It is a lot of research. They typically come to your site between five and 10 times, depending. And that's just like on average. When you go into the enterprise, it's much heavier and from much more personas, but let's just say five to 10 times. So then there's a matter of tracking that and you get into attribution. So like, what's the right way to do it? And I think it's all about just getting it directional. So that you can make management decisions, but it's never going to be perfect ever. Um, as well as like, yeah, looking at all the different personas. So if you think about the complexity there, that's a, that's, that's a lot. I want to talk to you about your time at New Relic and Atlassian, two companies that went public a few months after you started. How does going public affect the role of an online marketing manager? Yeah. So I'd say as an online marketing manager, typically you're going to have one of the largest budgets in the company. And so there's a lot of responsibility with that. But when you're in that growth phase, getting up to it, there isn't always the rigor around accountability with the responsibility. It's like, as long as you hit the number and you spent the budget and didn't crash anything, then you're good. But when you're going into an IPO phase, typically companies are going to hire a CFO that CFO is going to come on and start really building the financial rigor that you need in order to like 
take a company public. And so that's you feel, you'll feel that process start to come down. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, these things that you, I used to be able to just make decisions on and just put out there. And if anything failed, it's not a big deal because no one notices as long as somehow you hit the goal. All of a sudden, everything has to be accounted for, which is like a different, I think, amount of pressure, I would say. And so for some people, you know, I've worked with, I will not mention who, but I've just worked with some some people that like were not used to that. And so that was a big change for them because then they felt like they were being micromanaged when really it's not that. It's just there has to be a different different level of financial responsibility. The, the way that you're measured pre and post IPO and the expectations from management, how do those change? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it, it changes in a way where it's more, the focus is more around predictability and less around just raw, wild growth. So it's going to be, did you, what are the things we're going to do, you know, going into a quarter planning or a year planning? What are the things we're going to do? What are the assumptions? How much? And then did you execute on those things versus like in more of the startup world where it's just like, if you get big growth, they don't really care how you do it, if that makes sense. So it's more about being predictable than just wild market capture. Which one do you prefer? Wild market capture for sure. <laughs> All day. It's way more fun. It's way more fun. It's not as, I mean, it's, it's still fun to, to have that structure and to have everything kind of just tinkering away. But for me, I love the build phase. And so by the time it's like fully operationalized and you're just like punching in numbers and then adjusting stuff in the ad platforms. And it's like, okay, anyone can do this. It's like, you can hand that off. So that's kind of like my, where I've found my sweet spot, like here at HelloSign. I'm just loving being able to build everything and experiment and try things and get big results and iterate and, and it be more about just getting shit done, to be frank, than about getting the shit that you said you were going to get done, done. Are there things you would do differently having gone through it two times? Uh, get there earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. It's fun. It's super fun. And you should just enjoy it if you get that opportunity. But also, I would say that shouldn't be the end game. Like there's a ton of fun to be had and money to be made outside of IPOs. So I think a lot of people get a little hung up on that. But it's not the end all be all. So is it easy or better to build towards a predictable scale in the beginning? Or is it better just to cross the bridge when you get there? I mean, for me, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm getting way ahead of it because I've just seen it. If you wait too long, it's, it's going to be hard no matter what to like build for that scale and to build the rigor and also like build in with the team, just the practices of it. It's just like a different management style. And so... That takes time, but I've seen it happen where if you wait too long, it just never gets prioritized. And then the more accountability you have, the less time you have to just stop and fix everything. And the bigger you are, the bigger that fix is going to be. So for me at HelloSign, I'm like, it's been really important for us to like, yes, keep like with one hand spinning one plate, but then with the other hand, like building all this stuff and like getting that structure ready because it does it honestly to get it really, really right. It takes a year to two years all in. When you join a company that doesn't have marketing tech set up, what are your first steps? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is you really just have to go and take whatever is available. You have to just like dump that database and just analyze where everything is and how everything's being tracked. And then from there, it's great when you have like a system of record, right? So like there should be some 
somewhere something that is like the the truth teller and then you use you know your web platforms and like conversion events and google analytics and all that good stuff to just be like your directional measurement but if you need to go and see like what's the truth truth there should be some database and for us there wasn't because there was in two systems but that that is the goal you need to build one single system of record where everything is and like that is the ultimate truth and then have reporting and everything coming out of there if that makes sense sure when you're planning a media campaign or a buy, what's your process for picking channels? Yeah, I mean, it goes, again, it goes back to having all that data and knowing what's coming in from where. And so data, starting with an, like an awesome data structure and having great naming conventions for your UTMs and really like roping off what those channels are going to be up front is super important. And then you have to, I mean, always start with, I would say, paid search. Like you want to go after the in-market demand first. Like if people are already looking for a solution, just get in front of them. And that's something that you build out and just kind of like set it and forget it and maintain. And then on top of that, it's, it's all about using your best guess as far as like where placements that your audience is going to be at. So like making sure it's really aligned. And at some level you have to like, for me, what I always do is just get my paid search, like rocking rocking super hard so that it gives me that kind of buffer room for experimentation and then just throw a bunch of stuff out there, get it out there and then see what comes back. And then you have kind of like your historical cost per acquisitions and like, you know, what is driving the highest quality of leads and all this stuff. And then you just max out those channels. So start at the bottom up from best performing to worst. You say, okay, here's my budget. How much can I spend in this channel or how much inventory is available on that site? And then just work backwards from best performing up with the best performing, getting the most budget that is still going to drive efficient growth. And then just constantly doing that and just like experimenting, experimenting, trying new things. And then as new things you test out, when then some point your old worst, but still okay performing stuff just gets retired. After paid search, what's next? Depends on how much traffic you have. So if you have a ton of traffic, always like retargeting is a huge one. So at Atlassian, that was like one of my first kind of initiatives that I took on there was like really expanding paid search. And once that was the opportunity that we were missing there was pretty substantial. So like that gave me a lot of room to like go and like rebuild other things. So there was a microsite and then the product pages, the microsite was related to Git. And then there was product pages that like take you through the buying process for a bit bucket. And so what we did was they were retargeting visitors who had visited the product pages and then showing them get microsite ads and sending to the microsite. And I was like, um, that is not quite the buying cycle that we want. <laughs> There's this microsite that has a ton of organic traffic. Let's take that organic traffic and then send them down the sales funnel. So it was taking them from there and then showing them ad about the product. Once they had seen the product and maybe not seen like the sign up page, then the next kind of ad would be around getting them to sign up and taking them through that buying cycle. So like once that's set up too, you can kind of just like set it and forget it. And then you have like the channels and the campaigns built out and you can update your creative, but everything's kind of running. And then from there go into prospecting. So I think like Facebook is a great, a great place. I do, this is what I do with you. And you're like the person I work with the most. So I feel like I'm just, it's, an, it's not an advertisement. It's just that a company like buy, sell ads that does the, really this like boutique 
kind of service where they go to all these smaller publishers that have like a great following and really like dedicated audience. But then they kind of build that into a network versus like spending all your money on CIO.com or all your money on Stack Overflow or whatever it is. It's like there's a bunch of different really unique placements. So that's my favorite kind of prospecting. That's the most meaningful, I feel. And then, of course, you can do... Google Display Network and stuff in LinkedIn, especially if you're in the enterprise, like LinkedIn has an awesome kind of ABM capabilities as well as the ways you're able to advertise like with InMail and stuff. It's, it's unique, but it is like much more expensive. And so you really have to be going after enterprise level acquisitions for the cost to make sense. Do you have one secret tip for LinkedIn buying? There are a lot of ways that you can buy across LinkedIn, but do you have one buying method that has shown a better result than another? Not really. I mean, because we're doing ABM, it's so, and we just started like a couple of months ago and the buying cycle is just much longer. The reach is smaller. So I would say that the number one tip would be to integrate it into your marketing automation system so that the person who most, most of like the LinkedIn traffic is mobile. And so you don't want to take them out of what they're doing and take them to your site and like have most likely an unoptimized mobile experience. So if you use their integrated forms where the person, the prospect sees the, sees the offer and then can, can enter their information right there and get it, I think it's a much better experience for the user and then also increases your conversion rates. What kind of information do you want to capture on those forms? Well, we have in our systems, we have um, Clearbit running through. We use their API. And so as, as soon as somebody gets into our database, they if they have a non-public, like a private company domain, then the, all of their information gets appended in the database. But other than that, it's like first name, last name, work email. For us, typically company size and role are important. But I try, yeah, I, I like keeping it as minimal as possible. And then on just like on our site, the having a phone number is really important on the sales contacts form because the sales have found that their success rate with getting in touch is like demonstrably higher when they have an accurate phone number to call into. Are there any marketing channels that you're a fan of that are less common in the B2B space? Yeah, I feel like sponsored content would be the one for sure. I've just started really like getting heavy into that this year and it's been like absolutely mind-blowing. We have some of these placements that we've done with like Pocket News. I don't want to give away all my secrets. I'm being selfish. (laughs) (laughs) But there are some of these like native things where as long as you take the time to really make it meaningful for the users, you can, I mean, if you're you're, like sending into these newsletter lists of millions of people that are targeted and like aligned with your offering, I mean, you can drive, I've driven, I don't know, over a thousand leads in one day, which is insane. Like the first time we did it, I was like, I thought something broke. (laughs) (laughs) How do you get buy-in from your your internal team on something that's so new like that? I feel like it's part of like when anytime you started a new company, you need to look for your low-hanging fruit first. You need to like establish yourself. And so don't go after like experimental things when you're new. Establish yourself as a trusted person. Like my um, executives, they don't even like look or really ask. I'm like, what I, the conversation is doing more of what works and a few new things. They're like, okay, because I've, de- I've delivered. I deliver every single time. So I hit the number. So they don't really, and I try to keep them out of like what it is and just what it's going to keep them focused on what it's going to get us. And deliver consistently so that trust is built. And then we don't spend time going back and forth on like what kind of placement. It's like what's the best way to to handle the leads afterwards. It kind of changes the conversations and allows you like spend more time on working down the funnel once the leads are in versus like 
having to convince somebody of what kind of buy. And you also have to just keep, make sure everyone knows that you're an expert and that you want to be trusted. I think that's super important. So imagine yourself five years ago, you had a quarter where you didn't quite hit those numbers that you were expected to hit. Not that you've ever done this before, but if you didn't hit the numbers, how would you still gain? I did that, I did that last quarter. <laughs> how do you still maintain credibility with your internal team and still continue to keep that trust? Yeah, I think it's about constant communication. It's about always like questioning before you go into it, you show them like, here's the assumptions that I made based on historical data. Based on that, here's the plan I'm presenting, give feedback and be willing to move on some stuff. If your leaders want to not try something new or whatever, just get buy in little by little. But it's, yeah, it's just like that process of, and if you're not hitting your numbers, communicate it early. Like, Hey, this is like reporting is actually really important. Like weekly reporting, like, Hey, here's how we're pacing. Um, here's the underperforming thing and, and also work on like here, I'm going to try more of this or more of this, but here's why. And everyone feels, if everyone feels in the loop and that it's understood why, and there's a plan to do it differently going forward, it's fine. You're never going to always hit all of your numbers. It's impossible. There's too many assumptions, too many variables, um, seasonality, all sorts of different stuff. You're not always going to hit. And if you're Hitting everything 100%, that means you're probably not, you're, you're actually, you're definitely not trying enough stuff. And you have to be always experimenting in every single thing that you're doing. But it's, it is about communication, for sure. Have you ever taken a risk on a media buy that paid off? Yeah, absolutely. So a good example of this, like we discussed when those, you know, go, you go public and all of a sudden there's like influx of budget. This is like one of the things that was on my wish list to do. So as soon as that opportunity came up, I'm like, yep, I know exactly what we're doing. So what we did was we did a CPA driven campaign. So instead of us buying on the impressions or the click level, we had an, in our ad server, we had conversion tags set up so that we had that like kind of third party visibility into where signups were coming from. And so we just worked with you guys. <laughs> worked with you and like another another vendor and said, hey, I'm willing to give you, here's the conversion rate we typically see. I'm willing to give you, I don't know, $60 per conversion for, and there's a strategy to this too. So $60 per conversion for, I don't know, $10,000. And then for me, from my side, here's like, I don't know if I've told you this, but so on my side, what I do is then I look at what is the conversion rate there. So if it's like super, we did this one time and it was like a 33% conversion rate. And so then I knew I, I, only, I actually had like hundreds of thousand dollars more, but I wanted to test a little bit just to see how it converted. And I also knew that you guys had a ton of greenfield as far as audience goes. So then I'm like, okay, there's still a ton in this for them. So I'm going to go back and say, hey, I can do $100,000 more, but I wanted at $30 this time instead of 60. And it was still because the conversion rate was so high, they weren't, you guys weren't burning through your entire database to get the lead. So it was win-win. And so I think we did half a million dollars in, in a quarter and it just crushed. And when we looked at the quality as well, because we had we had um, visibility into active users, it was the second best performing outside of paid search. It was a wild time that quarter. I think we even got a shout out in the earnings report. We did. <laughs> Not by name, but there, there was talk of how many active users were added that first quarter. That that was, I mean, you and I would joke that there will never be another Q2. Okay. <laughs> HelloSign recently launched Digital Strength. Can you tell me a bit about what that is? Yeah. So Digital Strength is a free 
vendor neutral education series all about digital transformation. And it goes from just like the whole process. So from just like educating yourself on what it is and what digital transformation is comprised of, as well as like who needs to care about it, tips for working through it from security issues all the way to like then the iteration process. So once you do one digital transformation process or project and that's running, then like how do you continue to iterate and do more and more and more? And so our goal with that was like we at HelloSign believe in making our users awesome and making our customers awesome. And then also just for me as a marketer, I know that like you are, my whole job as a marketer is to find the right people and make them better at their jobs, right? So like my tool should make them essentially better at their jobs. But how do you go and do it one step up, which is like, no, you just give them this education and you don't ask for anything. So this is like a free, we've like roped these people off from our sales funnel at all. It's just, they're like just in their own little bucket of safety and just getting this like awesome educational content. And so that, so that we're building trust and we are building ourselves as thought leaders and with the assumption, and I've worked on a program like this years ago, and, and it was one of the highest ROI programs, because then all of a sudden you've established yourself as this leader and human beings have this need for when they get something, then they want to give back. It is like innate in us. And so you've given them, you've already given them something. And so, of course, when hopefully at some time when the project comes up, then you're going to be top of mind and you already have built this like credibility and like warm, fuzzy feeling with them. And so hopefully it gets you to the top of the list in the sales process. How did you come up with this topic for your target audience? So we actually worked with Ben Keeps and he is an industry, like long-term like industry analyst and he, writer. He's awesome. And so our we have our editor, um, Claire, who is working with him and they kind of just came up with the curriculum together and then have just been working through the details. But we definitely wanted to go outside because we wanted to stick to stick true to the brand promise of the program of it being vendor neutral. And we felt like if we were writing it, would it, it couldn't, there's no way that we couldn't have those like unconscious biases. So that's why we outsourced it with him, but then just working on our end, on like the production side and kind of just like smoothing out any edges, but it doesn't have any sales pitch in it. How are you measuring success? Enrollees. And we're also looking at the company sizes. So a week after, or actually like within four days after launch, we already had over a thousand people enrolled and 10% were coming from um, the Fortune 500, which we were, that was the goal because like when you go up market and you're going into the enterprise, you have to build trust. It's not this like, oh, I can always just like cancel my account online. It's like, no, this is like a big hundreds of thousands of dollar deals. There's like a trust that is needed because people's, this is like part of their career when they're making these purchasing decisions. So that was, that was like the overall strategy. And so to see those logos come in and we had logos from Sally May, from Fox, from uh, United Emirates, from, I mean, just the logo list was amazing. And that, that was the goal. So we're getting that exposure to that enterprise audience, but still keeping them roped off from, from sales. Eventually, how will you decide to move those content leads to the sales team? We're not. We're, we're, we're actually just like putting, just having that like implicit assumption that like if we are moving, if we are educating these people and we are building our brand recognition and just relationship with them, that at some point they'll come back. So we are measuring like the logos that sign up. And then if those logos come back through either self-service or through the sales side, and that's kind of how we're like making the case for it if that makes sense. What marketing channels are you using to promote it? We are using a lot of LinkedIn and using kind of like the ABM solutions that they have there. 
And then we're also using buy sell ads and doing a lot of like uh, paid content, native content, and we are doing display and social and paid social and email into our base. How do you approach straight up product marketing versus content promotions? Is there a big difference or are they similar? Oh, I think there's a, I think there's a big difference. I like to look at it as it goes like the, the relationship handoff goes product to product marketing. That's the liaison. And then product marketing is like, oh, they can put the benefits in there and like all that kind of a little bit more soft speak. But then when it gets to the campaigns and like my role is that's where I have to like up level it because people don't care about features. They care about problems they're solving for. And so at my level, I have to like, just get them interested. And the goal is always like to say as much as possible with as few words as possible, but talk really lightly about benefits and just aligning with that audience. And then once they come in, then you can start talking a little bit more about that, like product marketing speak. But I think when you, when you're going to market, like you don't want to go fishing with just a hook, you know, you want to have a nice fat worm on there. Thank you so much for all that insight into your marketing strategy. Before we wrap up, do you have any advice for listeners on building their networks? Yeah. I mean, I think my, so my three work pillars are, and I feel like if you do these three things in almost any role, but especially in marketing, then you'll be successful. I think it's about number one, drive revenue. Number two, make your boss look like a rock star. And number three, support the people around you in their own success. And number three is the trickiest one because it requires you building relationships and understanding what those people really want. And understanding what makes them feel successful and what their goals are and all that stuff. And that's from anybody who does your direct report to your peers, to people who are junior and senior. You just have to really understand what they want. And that's how you, you, know, you build relationships. And then also don't be afraid to reach out. People are so much more willing to answer questions and, and like lend you their expertise when you just ask and you say, Hey, like reach out on LinkedIn say, Hey, I know it's been a while, but I would love to get your feedback on something. Can I take you to lunch? Like you are more than likely your success rate is going to be really high. And if you get a no, then just go down the list and go to the next person. And you have to nurture those relationships as well as make yourself available to them too. I can't tell you how often I do like, like small batches of like free consulting for people in my network and just like look over things and but I always am proactive about telling them like hey if you ever need anything and ex- being explicit about w- giving examples too if you ever want me to review something or if you're looking at numbers and it's not making sense or you're looking at you need follow up on a role or anything that you need at all just like let me know I'm always available to you as a resource and then people like will leverage that once you make it so explicit What's your best piece of advice for B2B marketers looking to grow in their own careers? It's about getting your hands on as much stuff as possible, being as good, being a super proactive communicator, because the more you communicate, the more it's there. You're just like you, it gives you room to experiment and it gives you room to try a bunch of different stuff. So being really proactive in your communication, try as many things as possible, make smart bets, like MVP kind of experimentation, and then build relationships with people both like in marketing as well as in other roles and like kind of really start building your network. Where can listeners connect with you? Well, you can find me on linkedin.com forward slash Jackie Davis too. <laughs> yeah, Jackie, if, if you Google Jackie Davis San Francisco, you'll find me too. Thank you for listening to Regrowth, the podcast for B2B marketers looking to grow in their careers. Listen to our other episodes featuring marketers from Full Story, Moo, HubSpot, and other fast-growing companies. 
Check out our website for more information on each episode and season and find us on Twitter at buy, sell, ads.